Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. Hello, good evening. Welcome to Eyewitness News Live from our studios here at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Salom Adunu and tonight I'm here with Akusia Ochi. Coming up over the next 90 minutes, tension mounts in Boku following the alleged killing of some 10 residents of the area by the military. Military denies the allegation, but five MPs from the area raised serious concerns about the incident. We'll tell you more later. And also on Eyewitness News, deadlock persists. MPP National Executive Council meeting to decide dates for the party's presidential and parliamentary primaries for the second time in 24 hours and since stalemate. What are the issues and what are the interests? And really, what does the party's constitution say? We'll break it all down for you tonight on Eyewitness News. And later, we'll bring you updates on meeting between NETCO and UDS management following that incident where security officers at the University for Development Study yesterday detained uh, NETCO staff who went there to disconnect their power supply. Stay with 97.3 City FM for more on this and other stories on Eyewitness News and in business. Government assures plans are far advanced to revive operations of Tema oil refinery. There is more business in the next 50 minutes. Eyewitness News is live across the country on all our affiliates and around the globe at citynewsroom.com. Your comments are welcome via our WhatsApp line 0549-986-996. You can follow me on Twitter at Selom Adonu. The hashtag, as always, is City Newsroom. Akosia gives us our very first story. The Member of Parliament for Boku Central, Mahama Yaraga, is seeking a 500,000 cities compensation for families of 10 people who were killed this week in Boku. He has thus petitioned, petitioned rather, the Commission on Human Rights and Administrative Justice over what he terms are several acts of violation of human rights by the military. He wants Shraj to investigate the death of the 10 people who were allegedly killed uh, by the Ghana Armed Forces. He also indicates that the rights of women and children have been violated. He's therefore seeking three remedies. This includes 500,000 cities compensation. He also wants members of the Ghana Armed Forces to be restrained from further acts of brutalities in Boku as they exercise their duties to maintain peace in the area. Lastly, he wants adequate compensation for those who have suffered physical harm as a result of the alleged brutalities. And also still on this matter, the regional chiefs of the Kusol traditional area in Boku are calling for the urgent measures to end acts of criminality in the area before the situation escalates. Addressing a press conference in Boku, the 25 divisional chiefs said they would be compelled to defend themselves if government doesn't take urgent steps to end violent and criminal activities. Patrick Adakurugu is spokesperson for the Kusol traditional area. Extreme provocations our overlord has constantly admonished us to prevail on our subjects to be peaceful. In fact, but for his exceptional patience and commitment to peace, the conflict in Boku 
would have escalated to an unimaginable proportions. It is in this context of the above that we wish to express our deep concern about the continuous spread of lawlessness and killing of innocent civilians. While we remain loyal and commitment to the orders of our overlord, His Royal Eminence, the Bokunaba, the Zugran, we wish to point out that there is a limit to what the patience and the peace commitment of our overlord do to restore peace in Boku. This is why we are calling for urgent steps to be taken to bring an end to the criminal acts of violence in our traditional capital. Patrick Adakurugu is spokesperson for Kuso Traditional Council. And Colonel Festus Abouaji is also a security analyst. He joins us uh, to help us appreciate uh, from his viewpoint what has been happening in the area and what can be done to uh, bring down the tensions currently brewing in the uh, Boku community. Hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to Eyewitness News. Some of your colleagues uh, have described the Boku area as a war zone. You know, everything you know about the area, given what's happening. But first of all, thanks for having me. I think that expression is uh, is a, a euphemism um, using or describing the situation like, you know, in war. But technically speaking, as well as legally speaking, constitutionally speaking, there is no war anywhere on the territory uh, of Ghana. The government has not declared a state of emergency to that effect. So what's happening is that the conflict is escalating, um, resulting in destruction of life and property. Uh, it may look like the security forces are getting a bit frustrated uh, because there's no conventional warfare. The groups that are involved in the ethnic dispute or conflict are not conventional forces, you know, and sometimes it's a bit difficult for the military in that kind of situation, you know, to use conventional uh, tactics to address the situation. I've had occasion to explain that <clears throat> the situation in Boko, in Ghana Armed Forces terms, is an internal security situation. It is not war at all. It's not terrorism, although there may be the threat of uh, jihadist terrorism and so on and so forth. I think my concern is about the other side of the military campaign, which is the information campaign that it behoves the military not necessarily to issue press releases explaining uh, what has happened, why they have responded in whichever way. But when you conduct a coordinate search operation, it's based on an item of intelligence. And there must be evidence at the end of the operation to justify that activity. I've had occasion to also link this recent activity to Ayawa's West Bogor, that if indeed there were armed elements with military-grade weapons, 
and therefore the military cordoned the area. At the end of it, at the end of the search, cordon and search operation, the military must retrieve weapons. And they must present those weapons, just as they have issued a press statement, in order to win the information campaign. It is not sufficient to just write on a piece of paper that we engage people who were sporadically firing their weapons and we neutralize them. It's not sufficient. Indeed, this is not even a matter of simply um, subjecting the situation to, let's say, investigations. PR training is a case that must be presented in court for the military or the security forces to justify the use of force. Remembering that we are not at war. We are not fighting an aggressor state. It's an internal security situation involving citizens belonging to different ethnic groups in one geographical locality. Mm. So, so, so I'm, I'm a bit concerned. Yes, yes. I, I get a concern. So am I to understand from, from what you've said so far that it doesn't appear that the military, from what you know, has the evidence to justify the so-called operation? If they have, then I don't want to put myself into that conflict. Any conflict, in fact, any activity that the military conducts in a democracy must have at least two dimensions. It must have the technical military dimension. It must also have the information dimension, i.e. the information campaign. And you can reinforce your information activity by presenting the evidence. So at the end of the cordon and search operation, we saw dead bodies that the military say were neutralized. That's fine. But where are the weapons that these people were using to fire sporadically? And indeed, I've also explained that a military intervention should not necessarily be that a group is firing their weapons sporadically and therefore need to be neutralized. It must be that the fire coming or emanating from the weapons are destroying life and property, in which case, even without any state of emergency or whatever, anybody bearing weapons becomes a law enforcement officer. And upon reasonable grounds that life and property are being destroyed, can use the weapons that they have, you know, to, if you like, neutralize uh, those people. So far, the narratives of the press releases from both the armed forces and the civil authorities have not actually laid solid ground you know, to point to people armed and killing, you know, other citizens. And that is that's a concern for me. One, because the state at all times must not be seen to be violating human rights. That's a fundamental principle in a democracy, which is what we say we are. Secondly, in this kind of operation, any death that occurs, any use of force against any party is likely to push them to the extreme. And as 
you have said, or some people have said, we have this jihadist terrorism echoing off our northern border. So those jihadists can exploit the Boko conflict or parties to the Boko conflict can align themselves with other forces outside of the country, either in Burkina Faso or Togo, in order, you know, to win whichever local conflict that they have. So we need to be extremely careful that we don't allow the situation in Boko, you know, to become regionalized, if, if it were, uh, as it were, and to get to a state where, you know, we end up killing, let me say, innocent uh, citizens. I see. Very interesting I mean, comments from you. But the, the military also say that they had a tip-off from the National Investigations Bureau, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a lot of the things they did were based on that tip-off. So there were a number of e- events. So they described that as, as the first event. There was another event also, which uh, they, they, they described as a separate incident, uh, sporadic mm-hmm. firing being heard mm-hmm. at uh, Sabongari, general area mm-hmm. where a patrol uh, team dispatched to assess the situation spotted unknown armed men at Gozesi Valley side in the in the in the area wearing black yeah. t-shirts etc so they, they perhaps they felt that these guys were a threat to them and once these guys were trying to engage them they, they had to return fire and their, their return of fire led to their death and maybe that was what it what, what it was i'm not sure the military would want to uh, uh, endure fire from the armed men, whilst they will not return fire? It's not as simple as that. In a layman's view, you could argue as you are arguing. If indeed any party directs fire at any other uh, group of persons, there must be evidence to that effect. Either one of the military members or security forces members suffered casualties, there must be that evidence. But critically, in this instance, wearing of black T-shirts and blazing with whatever symbols do not make you an armed group. You see, carrying of weapons, yes, will be prohibited under the circumstances. But carrying the weapons and firing the weapons without destroying life and property will not justify the use of force that ends up with six or eight or ten people dead. So, for the military to actually justify the use of force that they use in neutralizing that group, they must present evidence. And that evidence will be the military-grade weapons that these persons in black T-shirts were armed with. You see, otherwise... And let me even branch off and say that in such operations as indeed we have found in peacekeeping operations and so on, look, you can get all manner of so-called intelligence. Each party to the conflict in Boku can present what appears on the surface to be intelligence, but that will not be intelligence. Now, intelligence also doesn't mean that any type of operation that is conducted on the basis of that intelligence is justifiable. Hmm. Upon that intelligence, you now need to design, you know, a tactical approach. And that tactical approach must be informed by international law and the laws of this country, as well as by the tactics and procedures of the security forces in question, which are actually designed 
to be consistent with international law in protecting human rights and not abusing or violating them or protecting, you know. So I find a bit of gaps in the press release from the military. And the main reason why I have drawn that conclusion is that as of now, or as of yesterday, there was no hard evidence to suggest that any party in that conflict within the past 24, 48 hours was armed and was attacking the military. I, I see. So so the, the problem on the ground really is that there's mounting tension, a growing mistrust between the people and, and the military people uh, placed there to, to assist, uh, um, you know, uh, work around a peaceful resolution to the matters. How do we de-escalate the tension building? Who must speak? What must happen? Traditional elders or leaders have begun speaking, yes. but we are not yes. sure if that will be enough uh, to, to bring down the tensions. Uh, how do we deal with the growing mistrust, and how do we bring down the tension in the area? So, yesterday I had occasion on another platform to explain that. In this kind of environment, you need to build trust and confidence. And one of the time-tested confidence-building measures is to establish structures that involve the participation of the parties to the conflict. So even the patrols that are being conducted in that environment must be patrols in which the, the, the Kusasis, let me say, and the Mamprusis, let me say, are, are part of. You see, secondly, it is not only the use of force that is that can resolve the conflict. So there is another mechanism, and that mechanism is conciliation and negotiation. So once you get on the ground, you establish structures which bring together the leaders of the groups, the traditional leaders, certain, you know, um, uh, Rome or what do you call them, opinion leaders and so on. So when you have the intelligence at a certain level, either at the level of the political authority, that will be the regional minister or whoever, as well as at the level of the head of the security forces, you quickly relay the information that has been received to the leaders that have been constructed as a mechanism. But that is very, very important. Look, this conflict in Boku can never be resolved. And the history shows that. Before independence, it was said. But that, 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 all... that's quite a categorical statement coming from you, that it can never be resolved. No, no, no. It can never, at even end, it can never be resolved with the use of force. That was the point I wanted to make. Very well. And therefore, that conciliation and the mediation and the negotiation are essential components of resolving ethnic conflicts. Otherwise, you end up, indeed, per international law, that's the position of the uh, Amnesty International and so on. The Ghana Armed Forces or the Security Forces have become a party to the conflict. Anybody who intervenes in a third-party role, armed and uses force, in some international law context, becomes a party. And the state cannot be a party to a local conflict involving indigenous who are citizens. You see, so we need to be very, very careful in a democracy how we use force. And let me emphasize, 
that the Boko conflict and any conflict for that matter can never be resolved through the use of force alone. Of course, you and I know that there are political undertones to the conflict. There, are, there is academic research to that effect. And sometimes, depending on who is in power, one faction feels empowered in order to attack the other. So there are many, many dimensions of this conflict. And it's not very uh, simple to deploy a security force that goes around, you know, um, without hard evidence, killing uh, citizens. Remember in one of the Nanumba, Kukumba Nanumba conflicts, there were weapons, military-grade weapons that were flying around. Some soldiers even left their barracks to go and join the conflict. And therefore, when the military deployed the force, it screened all the members to ensure that members of the armed forces who originated from that area were excluded from the security force. These are all mechanisms to try and, you know, uh, stop those kinds of ethnic sentiments from within the armed forces impacting on the conflict. These are my perspectives. I think the situation is getting out of hand. I I see. We are grateful for your time and for your insights on this matter. We we, we thank you so much uh, for speaking to us on on, on Eyewitness tonight. Uh, So that was Kennel Festus Abuadi, who's a security analyst, helping us appreciate the matters from a security point, a security expert's point of view. Let, let's 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 stay on this matter and talk to uh, the Honourable Kletus Avoka, who is MP for Zebula uh, in the Upper East Region. Himself and a few of his colleagues in Parliament um, yesterday condemned the incident. Uh, and and let's speak to him really on, on what has changed and what the expectations are of 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 officialdom in respect of this matter. Hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to Eyewitness News. What can you tell us about? The, the situation on the ground right now? Uh, uh, fortunately, uh, the situation on the ground is quite calm. Yesterday and today, there, seem, uh, there have not been heard of gun, uh, gunfire. Uh, uh, that is normally the practice in the township, particularly in the night. So the situation for these two days have been, uh, has been calm. I, I see. But, but, but this is an, an easy calm. Very, very uneasy come. The people in the Boko traditional area are living in fear. Uh, the people are angry and, and they, are, they are frustrated. And when you have a, a frustrated and angry people in the, in the conflict area, the least, the least thing sparks of conflict. So that is why we are calling on government to set a committee to investigate the barbaric acts of the Ghana armed forces who are on peacekeeping duties there. And then at the end of the day, use all types of methods that they have at their disposal to be able to bring this conflict to an end. I, I see. Uh, so, yes, the, the, the committee, I'm not sure, will be to resolve the conflict because I'm sure that's, no. that, that's at a bigger yes, level. That committee is just to investigate the, the, the matters. Very well. But your yes. colleague... Who, where, where, where eight people lost their lives. Yes, your, your colleague, uh, the Honorable Mahama Yariga, he has gone ahead on behalf of the people to petition Shraj and ask that Shraj... Uh, conducts an investigation into it, and 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 all of that. Would this investigation be different? How different would this be from the one you are calling on the ministers of defence and interior to do? Won't it be uh, duplicating? You know, the the job that must be done because in some cases you may have same witnesses being shared by by the two bodies. Shouldn't shred be enough 
to investigate the human rights violations, what led to that, etc. So, so we can leave the the political side of things to rest for now. Well, that I I, I that is I appreciate that because uh, if you don't take time, uh, if the military do, do the investigation, they may and then the uh, it depends on who constitute the committee. But the likelihood that they will want to at least favor the military so that they are not embarrassed in the country will be very very high. So strategy will be the best body to do it. The question is whether uh, strategy decisions or recommendations will be actually be, be, be implemented by the, the Ghana Armed Forces. That is the issue. Otherwise, strategy is very competent to do the investigation. They will not be biased. They, they have legal, they are lawyers, and then they, they are experienced investigators, and they can do a good work. But what will be the effect of strategy's uh, uh, findings at the end of the day? Can the, will the Armed Forces be, 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 be in the position to implement them? That's the issue. But, but the strategy is, is, is a body of the state. It's a creation of the constitution. There are ministers yes. for defense and interior, defense especially, which uh, is in charge of the military. I mean, works under this constitution. So if Shrag makes a finding and Shrag makes a recommendation, you do not think that the minister for defense, for example, uh, could be bound to ensure that the recommendations of Shrag uh, largely are, are, are followed? Yes, that is true. But until some few years ago, uh, such law, uh, the way it is structured is such that um, um, when they make their recommendations, or they have to go to court and have the enforced. Uh-huh. That that is the original understanding of strategic law, and that is where time will delay, and then the and the, and then the the tempest will not be the the the, the anger will not be assuaged. But if it is a committee that is there for three days, and I mean, before even strike that the investigation or the committee, the I mean, government committee or non enforcement committee that's investigation, we will recommend that the, the current batch of soldiers in Boku, we will drawn a new group sent to Boku. That is the best that we can, we, we, we can, they can do. If the, 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 the batch that is there is withdrawn and a new group are sent there, then there will be a healthy relationship. At least a seemingly healthy relationship between the communities in Boku and then and then the soldiers on the ground and then the police on the ground. Uh, in that case, uh, we we know that uh, there won't be any skirmishes while the committee is still investigating. But I I, I appreciate that we don't need to have double double investigations. If Shrat will do it, then they can cover the rest of the of the, of, of the, they will take care of the rest of the state apparatus. I see. I, I'm curious to know what you tell your people when you meet them in terms of uh, having to uh, properly comport themselves in the face of growing tension, etc. Kindly speak directly to your people in, in the area and, and ask them to, to remain calm whilst maybe the state uh, uh, works to deal with the situation. Uh, you want me to speak in Kusar to them or in English? No, whichever one, in, 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 the, in one yeah, minute. But they, many of them speak English. Uh, you heard the assemblyman and many others talking. Mm-hmm. And we have been doing so. Mm-hmm. Indeed, we, the members of parliament from the area, we are six in number. Uh, since this conflict started in November 2021, we have avoided uh, making statements on the floor of parliament. We have avoided organizing press conferences because we thought that if we did so, we might, there might be a state of tongue. Or, and, and if that happens, we might inflame passions and then government will find it difficult to control the situation on the ground. So we have avoided that. What we have what we have been doing is to engage the, the authorities in dealing with security in the country, Interior Ministry and then the IGP 
uh, defense minister and then the, and then uh, the the command the high command regional minister and the rest of them we've gone to the area before we've met them several times we've even had opportunity to meet his excellency head of state uh, nana adodanko akufado who is the commander in chief of the ghana armed forces we had opportunity to meet him and we have even given them a roadmap as to how we think that peace can be restored to Boku. but i think that the challenge we have is that we are not it does appear we have the political will and commitment to resolve this conflict. And that is why it is there for long. Let me state without, without any contradiction that uh, um, peacekeeping, that is imposing curfew, having police and security on the ground, is a temporary measure. It's not a permanent, it doesn't provide a permanent solution. Peacekeeping does not provide a permanent solution. It's a temporary measure intended to control the situation on the ground so the government will have the opportunity to uh, look at the issues and then resolve the matter. So, but it is taking too long, and I think that the, the security person on the ground, some of them might have been there for some time now, and uh, in Boko, I mean, people every night from, let's say, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m., I mean, 9 p.m. or from 10 p.m., they start firing gun, isolated gunshots here and there, and the soldiers are running up and down. So they are human beings, so they become frustrated. They, they become exasperated, and therefore they, they, they tell the likelihood to take the law into their own hands and punish innocent people is very high. And exactly what is what what happened yesterday. So I will I will want I will plead that government the government should try to hold the bull by the horns. Uh, they, they, they already know the facts. Uh, they are fighting for chieftaincy, but there's no chieftaincy uh, uh, situation hanging in the air in Boku. There's no chieftaincy matter in the end of the ports or or, or tribunals in the country. Then those chances might have been resolved. The courts have decided. So what is left is for people to respect the rule of law, for people to respect due process. And when people are made to respect the due process and the rule of law, then there will be peace in Boku. But if you allow people to disrespect the, the rule of law, we allow people to disrespect judicial decisions and due process, then this is what we will have. That's what we are having. So Very well. the bull by the horn. Very well. And tell people the truth that you are not a chief by the by the decision of the court, and therefore you cannot agitate to become a chief. If you do that, then you are the aggressor, and then we will have responsible. I see. I see. I see. Yeah. I, I'm sure that they will disagree with what you, you are saying as well, because I mean, they, 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 they disagree they, before the law is there. I'm not making a new law or a new case. The court, the case have been settled by by due process. Look, for example, uh, are you are you following me? Yes, I am. Yes. Yes. In the 2012 election, when Nana lost, in 2013, he filed a petition in the, in the, in the Supreme Court. Nana has about 5 million Ghanaians or more sympathizers behind him. When the court ruled against him, he said he didn't agree. He accepted the verdict, but he wasn't happy with it. But he, he accepted and, 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 then, and, then was, and then bound himself and his supporters by the Supreme Court decision. Similarly, in 2020, when Joe Mama left and went to court, and the Supreme Court said he had not won the election, and that President Nana won. Your mama has four or five million people behind him. They are not causing trouble. So why should some few people, not even one million or even half million people, be making trouble, even though there is a court decision against them? Why? <laughs> I see. I what see. Lawlessness. I see. Thank you so yeah. much, uh, the Honorable Kletus Avaka, MP for Zebila in the Upper East Region himself, <laughs> together with five others, uh, MPs from the areas. Uh, addressed the press yesterday or so condemning the incident and here he is calling for 
calm and also asking that the rule of law uh, be respected. And indeed, there's been a judicial decision on who is the the rightful heir of the, the, the throne in the area. And so that decision must be respected. He attributes a lot of that to political will. Eyewitness News on 97.3. City FM, a few of your messages coming through Alex Kofi Yareni in Adenta Commando says, I will urge the uh, chiefs of Boku to rather put their strength to finding lasting peace in the area and stop the war drums on the military personnel. Atibila Moses in Boku says, indeed, what is happening in Boku is far beyond chieftaincy. It is just about hatred, disobedience of our, to our laws, miscreants who want to paint Boku and Kusong black, and we didn't expect this unprofessional act to come from the military. We don't kill what we protect, you say. Babamu in Tamale says, I think the good people of Boku seized fire and let peace, the good people of Boku should cease fire and let peace prevail. My condolences to the family of the eight persons who lost their lives. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM will take a short break, return and delve into the MPP matters, early Congress or late Congress. And what really does MPP constitution say? Don't go away. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. Your comments are welcome via WhatsApp line 0549-986996. We have been looking at the Boku crisis or the Boku uh, 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 shootings yesterday, I mean, a few days ago between, I mean, the military allegedly shot and killed a number of them. The military issued a statement um, explaining the other side of the story. Um, MP Mahama Yariga, MP for Boku Central, is also petitioned charge. He's putting the number of killed persons at 10. Of course, there are two separate incidents he recounts, and he's asking charge to investigate it and then uh, compensate uh, the families uh, who have been affected by this. Uh, the MPs in the area, six of them, in a press conference, condemned the incident. And what it's actually appear- what what it is appearing to look like is that the military. Uh, might have worked without uh, providing sufficient, you know, reason, you know, apart from saying that they neutralized uh, the the aggressors. At least that's from that's that's coming from Ken Festus Abuaji, who, who is a security analyst. Now let's move on to some other story. Another meeting of the National Council of the New Patriotic Party uh, to set a date for its presidential and parliamentary primaries has ended inconclusively. Uh, this comes 24 hours. After a similar one uh, by by the National Executive Council to produce also produce no result. Today's meeting in a, today's meeting had in attendance the president and some senior party officials. Pressure is mounting on the MPP to announce a date for its two most important internal elections on its calendar. Um, a block within the party made up of some MPs is pushing for an early Congress, while others want the party to abide by the provisions of its constitution. Uh, my colleague, uh, uh, Sami Wiafe, uh, has been nosing around the meeting and he, uh, he, he has a few things to say about what 
actually transpired in the meeting. He joins me on the phone uh, for, for, for some uh, um, conversation. Hello, good evening, Sami. Welcome to Eyewitness News. Um, why did the meeting again end in the stalemate? Good evening, Shalom. So what happened today was part of the consultations. The general secretary of the party, Justin Kogia, told journalists yesterday after two crucial meetings. Now, yesterday, I think about yesterday and then come to today. So yesterday, there were two important meetings, the National Executive Committee meeting and the National Council meeting. Now, these two bodies of the party met one way or the other to find uh, a date or set a date for the party's two important internal elections that is left on the party's calendar. That's the presidential primaries and the parliamentary primaries. Now, these two elections failed to reach a consensus or agree on a specific date for these two elections. So after these two meetings, the general secretary told journalists present that the party was going to still consult further and meet all relevant stakeholders before they can reach a compromise and finally announce that day. So today's meeting with only the National Council, only the National Council happened at the party's office in Kokonbemle, and the expectation was that after consultation, there was going to be uh, a date which would be communicated to party officials. But unfortunately, this meeting also ended inconclusively without a date uh, being announced. And so the general secretary said that there's going to be further engagement and further meetings, hoping that there's going to be a compromise and then a date uh, will be announced. So today's meeting also failed to come up with any results as far as the party's uh, date for the primaries uh, is concerned. Salam. What is the source of the dif- what is the difficulty all about? What does the party constitution say about you know it, these elections when the party is in government? And what does it also say about these elections when the party is in opposition? I thought that should lay the matter to rest. Indeed, 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 that 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 should do that because if you look at Article 13 of the MPP constitution, uh, it spells out clearly when the MPP is supposed to elect its presidential candidate, whether it's in power or it's in opposition. So. The situation the MPP finds itself now, which the party is in power, it says that elections should be held 12 months to the next general election, which is uh, putting into context the current happenings that's looking at 12 months, which is December uh, or even January for the 2024 election. That's when the party is in power. And now the, the same constitution also says that when the party is in opposition, the presidential candidate should be elected two clear years before the major election. Now, there are two blocks within the party as we speak now. There, there are those who are pushing for an early Congress, and there are those who are also pushing for the provisions of the party's constitution to be respected. Now, the first block feels that there is a need for the MPP to have an early Congress. The argument is that the MPP is electing a new presidential candidate. Amir Kufado will not be on the ballot come 2024. And so there's a need for the party to have an early Congress so that the candidates who will be elected will have enough time to market himself. And you all know very well, Salam, that in every internal election, there are bruises. There are always misunderstandings and misgivings. And so those who are pushing for the early Congress also says that in order for the party to be able to settle all differences, 
and settle all sort of bruises within the party, and any Congress will be enough for the party's candidates and the party itself to mend all bridges, um, uh, uh, sort of uh, forgive all those who've offended each other, and bridge, um, bridge all the girls before a major election so that the party can be united ahead of the 2024 election. The site and Eastern in 2008, where the MPP after his famous Congress in Legon, where we had the 17 as far as the party believes that uh, because there were some few petty squabbles and internal wranglings, that is why the candidature of Nana Kufadu could not secure victory for the party in that election of 2008. And so they believe that to avoid such a scenario, which the party believes is going to find itself in pretty soon, if they don't put things in place, it's going to be the same because the president is exiting and so the party is electing a new candidate. The other argument they're also making is that the MPP will come to, uh, or the new candidate will face uh, a candidate of the opposition NDC who many say that is well established, even though our former president, John Dramani Mahama, has not made his intention not to contest the 2024 election. Many bookmakers step him to lead the NDC again. If you really had NDC supporters pushing, and even members of parliament pushing that John Mahama is their best bet when it comes to the 2024 election. So they believe that having an established candidate like John Mahama is going to leave the NDC. The MPP will have no other choice than to elect the presidential candidate early in, early in time or early enough so that the, the candidates can match your mama in terms of uh, marketing as far as the 2024 election is concerned. Those who are against this proposal are also saying that the party has a tradition, the party has a constitution. The party says when it is in government, it should be 12 clear months to the election. So why do they want to flout the rules of the party or uh, uh, sort of breach the, the constitution of the NPP? And so they believe that the party should go strictly to the constitution of the party so that the party will not have any issues when it comes to legal, because they believe that if the party de decides to have an early Congress, uh, maybe some misgivings or some disgruntled people may want to take the party on. And so that the party is breaching its own constitution and may end up in the, in the court or somewhere. So they want to avoid all these legal tassels and go strictly by the constitution of the party. But those who are also pushing for the early Congress also give a counter-argument that in the event that the party is unable to hold, an, hold uh, a national executive committee meeting where the constitution of the party is amended, the National Council has that power and the party constitution to amend portions of the constitution on behalf of the party. And so those who are pushing for the early Congress say that the National Council can amend that aspect of the constitution and then push for the early Congress. So these are the two blocks who are more or less holding the party at ransom as far as uh, a date for the national um, uh, primary for the parliamentary and presidential election is concerned. So that's been the main contention as we speak, uh, uh, Salom. I, I see. Says, yes, I, I, I can, yes, I can understand the late Congress, which is uh, 12 months to the election, and that's what the party's constitution says in matters like this. But early Congress, where would this be? Could it be a month before the 12 months? What exactly do they mean by early Congress? So the people pushing for an early Congress are proposing between April and uh, proposing May, June, July, or August of this year. Their argument is that that will give the candidates and the party ample time enough mm. to campaign. So the proposal is for May, June, 
July or August, so that they can have all these elections before 2024. But would the party would the party be would the party be ready by May, June, July? Because nominations haven't opened yet, and it's a whole process vetting and all of that. Would the party be adequately prepared or ready for the May, June, July so-called early Congress date? I had the opportunity to speak to those who are pushing for the early Congress, which majority of them are members of parliament. They said that the PMPP as a political party now does not have any other internal election to hold, which is going to be a drawback of the party. The party is done, the party is done with all its internal elections. It's been able to organize its police station election, constituency election, regional election, national election. So as of now, the party does not have any uh, excuse and, and use that to say that because of this, that, and that, the party is unable to do that. And so they believe that even in April, the party is in a better position to even hold this particular election because it's just a matter of announcing a date for opening of nomination. Already, already, we know some of the aspirants have started campaigning. And they also believe that people who have shown faces uh, and, and, and have said that they want to contest uh, the presidential primaries are all over the place, already campaigning. And so it's just a matter of opening the nomination for them to make uh, their intentions or their intent official. And so there's nothing really that is holding back or drawing back the party as far as holding this early Congress is concerned. Thank you very much. Uh, Sami Yafi, uh, City News correspondent at the presidency, speaking to us about that meeting, uh, which ended inconclusively, uh, meeting... Uh, with the National Council of the MPP to help set a date for its presidential and parliamentary primaries. Let's stay a bit longer on this matter and speak to Dr. Richard Amakoba, who is a political analyst, uh, for his uh, view or take on this matter as well. Uh, hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to the program. How or why is it difficult to decide on a date for Congress or a date for electing presidential and parliamentary candidates? Why, why is it so difficult? It shouldn't be, as you said before, if all fails, go according to law. What we are really talking about and what was reported is not what is going on. This is a contention between the president and the party. That's what's going on. The president on one hand and the party on the other. Most of the party members are with the MPs. The president uh, wants to hold the election next year, 2024. February thereabout. By that time, his contention is that the budget would have been passed by this uh, uh, this year's uh, uh, MP. The MPs, on the other hand, want to hold it latest August this year, and that will give them enough room to do whatever it is they are supposed to do to put the party in good stead. That is what it's called. But what, what has bag, passing a budget got to do with internal elections? Members of parliament are in parliament, and their job is to is to is to do the business they've been elected to do. So why will somebody hinge a, an election date on the passage of a budget? Well, that's the problem. Really, it makes no sense, and the party should not tolerate it. The party does not belong to the president, but the party go to according to his timetable. That is what he wants because. You remember what happened last year, this year. Well, last year, the, bu- the budget was in a mess. It was almost not passed. We were talking about sanctioning the finance minister. We know what happened. All the rancor that went on. It's not over. It's still going on. The president had tra- threatened the MPs that he would work to defeat them. 
And so they, they too, they are ready. So they don't want to be in a situation where they, 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 they hold the election late. If the president comes against you, it will be very difficult for you to make amends, to go back to and do damage control or whatever else. Besides, if you pass the budget, the president has no use for you. And so they know that. So we want to hold the elections now. No, but the president continues to be president. There will be bills. There will be other things that will have to that will require parliamentary input. And so I'm not sure uh, about the, the 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 fact that if one, I mean once they pass the budget, uh, the president will have no use for them. Well, why why would he threaten them then? Why would he threaten them? But we don't know. We, we don't we don't know we don't know that we don't know he threatened yeah, them where know, and when. Maybe you don't know. No, so don't say we don't know. Yes, yes, I, I, no, we, we, we are sitting, we don't know. No. MPP member, were you not there when, when a Supreme Constituency MP said it? Were you not, have you not read ever? Please, let's not talk like this. You want to bring solution, don't talk around the thing. Get to it. Speak the truth. This is what is happening in our country. How can because of one president, an outgoing president, he wants to hold the whole party to ransom? That is what is going on. But don't talk around it. Very well, that but is what yes, go by the party constitution and do it. But the party so constitution the says, the, executive stand up, stand the party, up your party, very well. The party constitution says that if the party is in government, election should be held 12 months to election. The primary well, should be held 12 months, months to election. February is not 12 months. So That's maybe December, but the early Congress, you know, uh, 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 those moving for early Congress want it done between May, June, July, or even August. That will not be 12 months. That will be way beyond 12 months. So 12 months, maybe December, January, then we have 12 months. Would that be okay with you if, if it happened too? If the major, I'm not an MP. They are the one contesting. We, we have elected officials. They should decide. It's not, it's not a party constitutional matter. It's a constitution that, that should, that should reign supreme, is it not? Yes, indeed. This is hard work. You have to go by the constitutional uh, di- dictate. But if it gets to a certain point, and for some good reason, Without opposition, that's the key word, without opposition, then all of you can agree, okay, because of so and so and so, we all agree, so let's do it this way. This is the problem. Look, let me tell you, the president is not popular. Nobody has to tell you that. MPP is in trouble. Nobody has to tell you that. The country is in trouble. Nobody has to tell you that. We are at MF. So the, the, the task ahead is monumental. We should not talk as if this is a normal year of contest. It isn't. And so we need more time to put in place. Look, this election is not going to be between MPP ministers and, and MDs. No. First of all, it's between the, the MPs smoothing out the work of the president. That's the first order of business. Because it's not a secret. I'm not saying this because I hate the president. This is the truth. We are unpopular. The country is in trouble. We are waiting for IMF. You understand? If the, the, this IMF de- deal delays, we are in big trouble. We borrow money to pay salary. Last, last, last month we paid, borrowed $2.1 We are borrowing money. We are living on borrowed money. But we are not in normal times at all. The IMF has written to Ghana that the government should, Bank of Ghana should stop funding the government. What does that mean? Bank of Ghana borrows money from the citizens in the form of uh, treasury bills and gives it to the government. You understand? This is what is going on. 
Why are we talking as if we don't know we are in an emergency situation? This is very bad. How about, con- con- how, about concern- how about a concern that having an early Congress, for example, makes right. the president a lame duck one, and the attention and focus will be shifted to the new candidate, and that will hurt the country more because, I mean, we are, you said we are in a crisis, financial or economic crisis. All eyes must be on the president and his program. We must all be focused, you know, at where we are going. If early Congress is heard or is held, the base of your party, of the party, will be split into two. One looking at the new candidate, who also seek to be popular and do all sorts of things, and the other also looking at the president. You don't need that to take us out of the economic quagmire you described. Well, a point well taken. But it should not be concentrated on what the president wants. What you're saying is true, but it's not very persuasive. No, this is how we've been doing it all along. Candidates come and another president is there or outgoing, it still works. Come up with a good program. Tell the truth. Work hard. Then your, your, your candidate, the party candidate, will be pointing to that as the reason why the people should vote for MPP again to continue. Are we arguing that the president is not going to do anything impressive or anything good to point to to help the party candidate? Is that what we are saying? Are we assuming that the way this now, that's how it's going to be? No. The point is well taken, but it's not very persuasive. I see. I'm you, grateful. You come up. Yes. No, go ahead. You come. Go ahead, please. No, no. I, I was just about thanking you, but I'll make your final point then. Okay. You come up with a good program. You come up with a good budget. Why would your own party members not vote for it or support it? That's the question. Because that is what they are going to use to campaign. An MP cannot say, okay, the president has gone left, I'm going right, I'm going to do my own thing. Have you ever heard this before? It won't work. So it is the president's performance that the, the other candidates would well on to campaign. What are we talking about? We are going to divorce ourselves from the president. Is that what it is? <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Richard Amakoba. He's a political analyst, also a member of the MPP. Indeed, he has run to become chairman of the New Patriotic Party before. So, of course, that, so I'm sure he's, he's well vested in, in the, in the matters. And that, that explains how or why he spoke the way he did. Eyewitness News or 97.3 City FM. We'll go to UDS now. The Northern Electricity Development or Distribution Company, NETCO, is yet to restore power to the University of Development Studies despite a meeting with management of the UDS Tamale campus. Staff of NETCO disconnected power to the institution over the non-payment of electricity bills in excess of 5.9 million cities. The workers of NETCO were, however, detained by security office officers of UDS. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News and Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Akusia Ochre. Let's settle for the details. 
Government says it is working to get investment to revive the operations of the Tema oil refinery to reduce the volumes of oil imported into the country. According to Deputy Minister of Energy, Dr. Amin Adam, an efficiently operating Tema oil refinery will ensure that the country saves foreign currency that would usually go out of the economy in exchange for petroleum products. Speaking to City Business News, a Deputy Minister of Energy, Dr. Amin Adam, said government is committed to ensure that the energy sector is sustained to ensure productivity. The issue of tour requires investment. And we have been challenged as a country over the last 20 years of getting the right investment to revive tour. Government has been looking at how to bring tour back into active operation and there are discussions on the lease arrangement to allow for investment in tour so that tour will operate after its full capacity but even if tour operates after its full capacity that will not supply uh, half of the uh, domestic petroleum product requirement we will still need to bring in oil products from uh, abroad secondly i'm sure you know that government is supporting other private companies to set up refineries. And so this arrangement we are doing is not going to be there forever. In as far as we are able to increase our refinery capacity, the economics, economics will advise all those who are importing petroleum products as to where they can get price competitiveness in the purchase and sale of their products. And so we are working towards that. You had a Deputy Minister of Energy, Dr. Amin Adam. An economist, Dr. Patrick Isumain, says without fundamental reforms and fiscal policies, the domestic debt exchange program would be an exercise in futility because the country will continue to experience economic crisis. With Ghana's debt now at over 400 billion cities, its credit worthiness has been slashed to near junk status, making it difficult for government to assess finance on the international market. To reverse this, the, the government has launched the debt exchange program to enable it secure a $3 billion bailout from the IMF. However, the domestic debt exchange program has met resistance, especially by bondholders who stand to lose their investments. Speaking to City Business News on the issue, Dr. Esumin said without proper economic reforms, the country will continue to face economic turmoil. For me, that's it looks like the finance ministry will succeed in getting Ghanaians to sign on to this debt exchange without any proper reforms of how government finances and government fiscal activities are working. It looks like we are heading towards a conclusion now, but, you know, we might celebrate it that, or at least some, the finance ministry will celebrate it as a success that it has got on this debt exchange. I, I think overall, it is really, you know, the conclusion of this debt exchange if it doesn't come with fundamental changes in how we raise revenue and taxation and how the economy works, it's really going to be a, you know, a whole of victory. Because that is the source. The reason why we are here is because of accumulation of the deficit. And the last budget didn't tell us that the government is changing its ways by way of how it spends and collects revenue. So if that doesn't change, any victory that we claim from the debt exchange is a whole of victory. Fundamentally, yes, that is where the debt, that's how we came here, we came to where we are. So we have to plug the hole. The hole where we are always spending more than, you know, we are 
we have collected it in taxes. That is what landed us here. Dr. Patrick Esumin is an economist. Now, the UK Ghana Chamber of Commerce has lauded the government for the inauguration of the Independent Tax Appeals Board, the board which was created in accordance with the Revenue Administration Act 20, uh, is to tackle tax disputes and appeals against decisions of the Ghana Revenue Authority. In the statement, the Chamber indicated that it hoped that the board would enhance revenue mobilisation through speedy adjudication accuracy and fairness in tax dispute resolution. It further added that the news for businesses and investors in Ghana was welcoming as taxpayers will be given a chance to have a fair hearing of their cases and a determination of the proper amount of their liabilities by an independent body before being required to pay them. Now, the Importers and Exporters Association of Ghana says the country is no longer lucrative for business growth as most companies are likely to fold up due to the high cost of doing business. This comment comes on the back of the recent announcement by the Bank of Ghana, which the increased uh, monetary policy rate stands from 28% by 100 basis point. Executive Secretary of the Importers and Exporters Association, Samson Asakia Wingobet, has been speaking to City Business News. It is no, no more lucrative. Ghana is no more the best place to do business. If you bring your investment to this place, you end up burning your investment, your capital. You left alone talking about the profit making. As we speak, in December, thereabouts, the middle of December, there was this hula balu about government has been able to control the city's position as against the dollar and that the city was appreciating against the dollar. I asked at that time that what the government do is extraordinary. Measures because I've never in my practice seen that in December when people are chasing more dollars and stuff like that, uh, government says that I'm be, I'll be able to control it and dollars lower as compared to the city. And for that matter, government was pushing us that we should reduce the price of goods. And my colleagues from Guta issued a statement. In the, in the market, we know about where the rate is as we speak now. And so I can tell you uh, whether prime rate has been increased 28%. What about the interest rates? Banks are borrowing. Is it lucrative again? Can a Ghanaian business person can say work confidently with bank and say I'm borrowing at ten percent, at eleven percent, at twelve percent interest per annum? And so, in terms of business wise, I can tell you that this government is, has good big time. That was the Executive Secretary of the Importers and Exporters Association of Ghana, Samson Asaki Awingobet. And that's all for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Akosia Autry. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Welcome back to Eyewitness News, the point blank segment of the program. Tonight on Point Blank, we bring you excerpts of a sitting of the Public Accounts Committee of Parliament where the Bank of Ghana assured that it would soon provide the requisite documents on the ounces of gold used for the first consignment of the gold for oil deal also before the committee was the Ghana Ace Commission 
which indicated that it only received less than 3 million Ghana cities of its 14 million Ghana cities budgetary allocation for the year 2022. First, let's see officials of the Bank of Ghana who will be followed by the officials from the ACE Commission. The, the word on the streets is that the first consignment of 40,000 metric tons of oil that came under the gold for oil butter deal was paid for with cash using an intermediary. Such a transaction, the Bank of Ghana will be in the know of it, yes or no? And can you confirm if it was paid for in cash? Honorable Chair, I I don't think I have full order, 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 order. Afishapa, uh, the the word on the streets is that the first consignment of forty thousand metric tons of oil that came under the gold for oil butter deal was paid for with cash using an intermediary. Such a transaction, the Bank of Ghana will be in the know of it, yes or no? And can you confirm if it was paid for in cash? Honorable Chair, I I don't think I have full order, 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 order. <laughs> Honorable Chair, I do not have the full details of of the that leg of the transaction with me at the moment. What I know is that the Gold for Oil program has two legs. It has the Gold Purchase Program leg, and then the Oil. Uh, leg. The Bank of Ghana is fully involved on the gold purchase side, which then translates into oil. So I may have to go back and check how the oil side was uh, transacted. But what we know is that we have fully paid and bought gold that is enough to support the oil transaction. This is very reassuring, and I'm excited that you you claim ownership of the first leg of the transaction. So since you have ownership of that and knowledge of that, would you be in a position to share with us how many ounces of gold was exchanged for the 40,000 metric tons? And at what price uh, did, what, did we buy the gold? World market price or lower than world market price? Again, did we pay CDs or dollars for it? If CDs, at what exchange rate? Thank you. Honorable Chair. What I can confidently share is the metric tons of gold bought by Bank of Ghana. As I said, we have two legs of the transaction, so I will not go into the exchange transaction. But the gold purchased by Bank of Ghana is not new. We introduced the gold purchase program as part of our building our reserves, and we are using a component of that program to support the gold for oil. So the metric tons of gold purchased by Bank of Ghana I can share the details with the committee later on when I get back to the office. But what I can also confirm is that the gold is being purchased in local currency cities. So it's a conversion of our domestic assets into foreign assets. And then it is being purchased at the world market price, 
we use the Bloomberg and the Reuters market price to purchase the gold. So those I can confirm. And, and in terms of the ounces that have been purchased as at now, if I'll beg of the committee so that I can supply that data later on because I do not have that with me now. I'm, I'm excited, and thank you so much. Once you are willing to furnish us, I'm sure that Chairman and the Secretariat would liaise with you to furnish us with that information. But I believe that this purchase program is also in tandem with PMMC, right? Yes, we're working with PM. There are two uh, different aspects of it. You know, we also engage directly the big mining companies yes. for them to sell part of their gold. The gold they sell to us is monetary gold because it's refined and LBM is certified. So that automatically goes into our reserves. But the one we buy from PMMC, part of it has to go through a refining process through an LBM certified refinery before it can be part of our reserves. But that part used for the gold for oil, you don't need to go through the refinery process. Yes. So we work with PMMC and we work directly with the uh, big mining company. Maybe I just want to avert your mind to the fact that your exchange rate, which you're using, I'm sure you use the Bank of Ghana rate when you're doing these purchases, uh, on your own Twitter feed is somewhere around 10.2 to the U.S. dollar. But PMMC that you are buying through is buying at 13. That's a huge disparity between your rate and what PMMC is buying. So that rate differential, that three CD differential, almost three CD differential, who bears that cost? The taxpayer, the Bank of Ghana, would you swallow that as your debt? Who bears that cost? So, Honorable Chair, if I may come back on that, just because it's a public interest question, I also want to give a public interest response. <laughs> The Bank of Ghana does not have a Bank of Ghana rate as we speak. So what is being tweeted is our indicative rates, our, our rates, transaction rates collected from commercial banks at the end of the previous day at 3 p.m., weighted average based on the transaction volumes, and then published for the benefit of the general public. The difference you see from the commercial bank is that when you go to your bank this morning, they would have published an indicative rate, but not a transaction rate. But when the city is depreciating, your foreign liabilities exceed your foreign assets, then it's negative on your account. Yeah, because I look at your, your statement of financial position, your assets and liabilities almost at par. Uh, so if you are getting uh, price differentials here, actually differentials here, positive, $2 billion, it means that it is mainly as a result of depreciation of the city. Because your assets, yes. then it's positive on it's your positive. account. But when the city is depreciating your foreign liabilities, yes. then it's positive on it's your positive. account. But when the city is depreciating your foreign liabilities exceed your foreign assets, then it's negative on your account. Yeah, because I look at your, your statement of financial position, your assets and liabilities almost at par. Uh, so if you are getting uh, price differentials here, actually differentials here, positive, $2 billion, it means that it is mainly as a result of depreciation of the city. Because your assets and liability are at par, almost. 
So if you're having a positive exchange, because your city was doing badly. It will be mainly because of that, but there are other uh, uh, activities in there too that also reflect beyond the exchange rate depreciation. So, so for instance, if you take this year, in October you have a different result, and in December you have a different result because of the way the currency moved in October and the way it moved in December. So normally it's good to look at it on, on, uh, at the end of the year to have the full impact on your accounts because it can differ from month to month. All right, let's go to the management issues. And uh, Vice Chairman will take paragraph 816. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Now, Bank of Ghana has interest in Financial Investment Trust. Bank of Ghana is a sole member. But then, in December 2018, uh, the, that institution, it says over here, the bank's interest in financial institutions transferred to FIT up to 31st December 2018 were not reported in FIT's financial statement. And uh, the trust has not been consolidated by Bank of Ghana since its results were considered immaterial to the bank. Now, management, you responded that you have, uh, you constitute the board of, you compose the board of trustees and then you have two in-house representatives on, on the board. And this serves as a bridge. What have you done since the audit? Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. I think since the audit, uh, actually we used to have only one representative on the board with an administrator. We now have two reps on the board with an administrator. And also we're giving the feedback from the audit to the auditors of the trust to ensure that the donations and the interest of the bank are reflected properly in the accounts, and that has been done. So since that report and the audit finding came out, the audited accounts of the financial trust reflects properly, as required by the accounting rules, the interest of Bank of Ghana in the financial trust account. Auditors, could you confirm what is saying, please? Mr. the recommendation has been duly implemented. Thank you. Uh, the Director General of Ghana is Commission. Thank you, Honorable Chair. I'm Daniel Insinia, Director of Finance and Administration. Good afternoon, Honorable Chairman. My name is Charles Udru, Deputy Director of Administration, Ghana is Commission. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Mr. Nsia, how are you? Thank you, Honorable. I'm good. And you? Uh, I'm doing well. So we'll go straight to your operational results. And um, government salvation has increased in 2019 over 100%. I think that's commendable. Um, and if you look at the... Expenditure for goods and services. 
that one has dropped, but you realize that there was an over expenditure or deficit in 2018. So I'm sure that resulted in the lower figure for goods and services in 2019. So you have turned the surplus in uh, deficit into surplus in 2019. What is the situation like currently? Is government subvention coming um, for your operations? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I would like to turn the question to the finance director to answer. Thank you. With your pen. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. For your question, currently, it is not uh, the best. The Director General of Ghana is Commission. Thank you, Honorable Chair. I'm Daniel Insia, Director of Finance and Administration. Good afternoon, Honorable Chairman. My name is Charles Udru, Deputy Director of Administration, Ghana East Commission. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Mr. Insia, how are you? Thank you, Honorable. I'm good. And you? Uh, I'm doing well. So we'll go straight to your operational results. And um, government salvation has increased in 2019 over 100%. I think that's commendable. Um, and if you look at the... Expenditure for goods and services. That one has dropped, but you realize that there was an over expenditure or deficit in 2018. So I'm sure that resulted in the lower figure for goods and services in 2019. So you have turned the surplus in, uh, deficit into surplus in 2019. What is the situation like currently? Is government subvention coming um, for your operations? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I would like to turn the question to the finance director to answer. Thank you. With your pen. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. For your question, currently it is not uh, the best. Our budget for 2022 was 14 million and we received less than 3 million. So currently it is not uh, the best. And I don't even for the first quarter, our last. Um, Release for the fourth quarter, which was about one million, we received three hundred. So it makes it difficult to run the office. Thank you. So the the forty million budget for twenty twenty two was actually for item one and two, basically. Thank you very much. The fourteen million was for yes, item one and two. No, it's for only item two. 
Holy item. Goods and service, yeah. Goods and service. Because yeah. that is the core of our mandate. Of your mandate. Yes. Exactly. So now that you are receiving less, were you able to provide the drugs for the patients? Thank you very much. For these are the intervention given to us for operating other activities, the administrative part of it. The draft goes to uh, Minister of Finance. So it's finance that and uh, Ministry of Health. They, so Minister of Health provide money for the drugs. They they purchase the drugs and give us the um, they then give us through the truth stores. Okay. To the various hospitals. Okay, they pay for that one. Exactly. Yeah. So this goods and services figure here is for your operation? For our operations. For oh, our, okay. As a coordinating body. Thank you. But you were able to receive three million out of the fourteen in twenty twenty two. But you survived. It means that the fourteen you asked for, you didn't actually need it. Thank you very much, Honorable. Um, I'm sure we will, previous year we received our last quarter money in December. Mm. So that balance was available for us to operate up to June. Apparently, if you look at our projection, we have to need about 747 per quarter to operate. But uh, we had 600 and about 700. Seven million to operate up to June. Then after June, that was when the, the money started dripping in, 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 in bits. And if you accumulate all, it's less than three million. Thank you. All right, thank you. So let's let's move on to the management issues. Paragraph twenty seven six zero. Honorable Sam George. Thank you very much, Chairman. Once again, may you live long. Chairman, the Ghana AIDS Commission has issues with fund disbursement that was not accounted for, totaling almost 473,000. These were payments not supported or payments without members. How did we find ourselves here? Where, for example, 13... DVs were issued for a local consultancy to a tune of about 365,000. What's going on with these payments? Once again, Mr. Chairman, I would like the finance director to answer. Thank you. Thank you very much. Honorable um, Chair, um, Apparently, it's been resolved when the, uh, when the auditors came. But these were some lapses as at the time they came. Some are receipts that had not been attached to the DVs. Some of them were, especially if you take the project support, um, there are funds that we transfer to our regional level and some that we do the transfer and they have not acknowledged receipts because we do transfers, not uh, checks. And because they are in their regions, until they come around before they can come and sign the, the DV or provide a, um, a receipt for, for, for those items. But it's been...
So that's uh, official from the uh, Ghana Ace Commission meeting the Public Council Committee of Parliament. Earlier at that same meeting and in the same sound clip, you heard officials at the Bank of Ghana assuring that they will soon provide the requisite documents on the ounces of gold used for the first consignment of the gold for oil deal. This is our show for tonight. Show has been produced by Beverly London. Earlier you heard Akosia Autry. Production or technical assistance given by Daniel Squashy. My name is Salom Adunu. Make a date with me tomorrow at 9 a.m. on City FM whilst we look at the big issues that have occurred this week on our Saturday morning news and current affairs program, The Big Issue. Up next, a sports panorama. And the team is ready. Have a good evening. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.